Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Powerade, Aid Griffiths. To be more like Aid, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. Who are you? What do you do? We currently don't have a clue, but give us 40 minutes of your time, and we'll get along just fine on the Joe Marler Show. It's the Joe Marler Show. Hello. Welcome to our show. I'm Joe, aka Joe Marler, aka 47. Why 47? Like the gun, aka 47. Okay. And this is my associate <laughs> called Tom the Tom the Freelance. <laughs> that is going to scare the hell out of people. The freelancer. No, Ooh. no, no. Freelance offer. The freelance offer? Yeah, you off people. Oh. You're my off man. So we're talking like this because we got a gangster. We've got a gangster, right? mate. Do you know what I mean? How are you feeling about this, by the way? Because scared. I'm quite scared. Do you think you'll think I'm mocking him by talking like it? Or because he's probably done no research whatsoever on this show. He doesn't know what I sound like, so I could just fucking keep this up all fucking day and pretend that I fucking am one. Do, Do you know think what I mean? you could maintain that accent for the entire duration Easily. of the podcast? Easily. This is my real voice. The other one's my fake one. What if he enjoys the recording and as a result of enjoying the recording, follows more Joe Marler content and finds out that you speak differently? I won't give a shit because I just get my fucking offer. Give my freelance offer. Oh, it's Dan and me, is it? I've got, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. got a killer gangster. Yeah, mate. Yeah, don't worry. So I, you can I'll do uh, an accent for an hour. I'll do you. I'll do you. I'll do you first. Then I'd do, do him first. <laughs> do anyone else first. Can you tell we're a bit nervous about this one? I am nervous. Shall we... Um, What's our best approach here, Joe? Like, fluff. Just fluff him. Like, make if he him doesn't feel like it, it, though? Then don't fluff. <gasps> Maybe we should ask him, do you want fluff? Do you want fluff in fucking hell? Or just a coffee. Do you want a coffee or a fluff? And uh, how do you want it? I'm, I am scared. Although I've always been drawn... To the underbelly. To the underbelly? To the underbelly I'm looking Brilliant. at across the it's table. Not, there's nothing under about my belly. It's <laughs> fucking over everything. <laughs> over all the straps, all the fucking lines. Have okay. you ever been tempted by a life of crime? Well, it's funny you should say that, Tom. Regularly committing crime, aren't I? I started when I was four. Nick had a pistachios from co-op. You know, like in the pick and mix mm. flaps that you get? Yeah, yeah. Like thing. Perspex you, flaps. Yeah. Well, there was this pick and mix perspex flaps in the new co-op was it nut specific? In Heafield? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I can't, there's not a huge amount that I remember, I, but I remember nicking a load of these pistachios, putting them in my pockets, like nibbling away like a little squirrel walking around co-op and then getting called <gasps> by the security guard into like the security office. Oh, what? And being like with my parents, like or just one of them, I think. Yeah, the other one definitely wasn't there. And uh, getting told off for stealing pistachios. So, you know, I didn't choose crime. Crime chose me. <laughs> the pistachio chose me. Did you have to do time? Time's infinite. What do you mean do time? What was your sentence? Uh, I'm sorry for stealing pistachios. Mm. Have you have you stolen pistachios since? No. I'm, Any I'm, form of nut stealing at all? No. The, what was the last thing I stole? A living. <laughs> Couldn't have teed it up more, could I? <laughs> Couldn't be more true, Tom. <laughs> could not be more true. Well, Joe, um, we are Stealing a Living, producing a podcast, and if people would like to support the show, they can subscribe three ways. Number one, Apple. Number two, Spotify. Number three, Patreon. For just a pound a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes, and of course, at the same time, Joe, our listeners will be growing a show. We'll steal your money, grow the show, because we're stealing it, and it's a good thing.
Excitingly, Joe, people can also now subscribe to the pretty much brand new Joe Marler Show YouTube channel, where they can watch entire episodes of this podcast, as well as extra show clips. Yeah, and on that, I'll show the viewers <laughs> of that channel how to steal a pistachio appropriately without getting caught. But you got caught. Yeah, but I've learned, and I... Mm. And the way to do it is... Well, don't spoil it. We'll still oh, got right. on YouTube yeah, on an extra YouTube. show clip. There you go. Perfect. Should we get the gangster on? Oh, oh no. I've got, a re- I've got a long list of questions for him and I'm really shitting myself about asking any of them. So what I'll do is make you ask him. Okay, yeah. All right. Let's get him on. Our guest today used to be a gangster. So he's a reformed gangster. And his name is Stephen Gillen. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me, Joe, Tom. You know, it's a pleasure to be here. We've really been laughing, right? <laughs> I don't know. I tell you, mine was more like, was it? Your Tom, body you... language, Joe. I've never well, seen I've your body language. I've clammed up, haven't I? Yeah, you folded your arms, you've hunched over. I've clammed up, I'm scared. I'm nervous about it. I'm both really excited about this one, but shitting myself yeah. at the same time. I'm trying, like, occasionally make eye contact with Stephen, <laughs> but then, like, oh, God, don't look for too long. Like, right, okay, but I'm Joe, excited. I don't bite. I used to. No. Nah. Nice, but, you know, I'm well over it, really. You know, it's lovely to be here. Right, let's get to the... Right, what is a gangster? What like What is a gangster in real life? Not just in the films. Like, what is a real-life gangster about? I don't like the term, me personally. You know, there's different levels of this, but when you're talking about more serious criminals, villains is a better word, even though I don't really like that, or if you want to say mobsters, it's, it's a different kind of way of being, right? People ask me this question. If you're saying about the violence... There's the people who have that about them and they're more, have more of a penchant for that. So they do the street stuff. They're more rough. But then there's the more kind of intelligent guys. They're a lot more business, business minded. And when you get someone who can do both, who's good at both, you know, we call them faces then. You know, these are the ones that pretty much rise up the hierarchy and they have more about them. So that would be more of a description, if that helps. Yeah, so like the gangsters probably, what's it, glamorised type word, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that Whereas the mobster, organised crime is more sophisticated and a little bit darker. What I can say is, you know, and of course I've known them, you know, and I've grown up with them, I've been in prison with them, the real, the real villains of any quality, top draw villains who was really successful at it, had a real name for it, they're not what people think, you know. They wouldn't like that word. They wouldn't want to be. They'd rather be known as businessmen. When they're younger coming up, it may it may serve them to have that name. That right? notoriety, that, that the fear. notoriety, yeah. uh, Joe. But really, when you really get down to it and you're really more established, if you want to call it that, then you wouldn't want to be associated with something like that. If you live a life like that, really under them rules, there's a different forging, right? And it's not that we think this is great or anything like that. you bo- real experience of it. So right? you're sort of born into it a bit, like you, it chooses you, not you choose. You know, you have, to, you have to understand, I was born here, but I was taken as a real, you know, as a baby, six month old to Belfast in the middle of the war, right? You know, I stayed there till I was nine in Belfast, you know, I mean, I see people killed, shot in front of me, screaming for their mother. You know, as a young child at seven, uh, shootouts all night across the flats uh, was no big deal for me, you know, which is crazy, you know. But when you're, when you're young, you don't know anything else than that. So, you know, already I'm being dehumanized in a way because that's not normal behavior, is it? You know, so when I come to East London and after then I, you know, I was already set up for it in a way, right? So there's your first thing. And then I had a lot more trauma. You know, I was in children's homes, foster homes, all this stuff. I had my first um, sentence when I was 14 years of age. I mean, I have children. That's a baby. But I was already well set up for this. And what was the sentence for when you were 14? It was stupid stuff. I forget what it was, Tom. It was stupid stuff, nicking cars and thefts or whatever it was, running around being a nuisance. But then, of course, when you go in there, you know, and I was a real nuisance. You know, I didn't have any role models. I didn't know my family then. I didn't know my, you know, I was very feral in many ways. I had to 
learn to get on with it. It's not an excuse, but it's just an example of what it was like. And then, of course, you start to get groomed from that point, even when you're going into them places, Tom. It's like a university of crime, right? And then, of course, this becomes your reality. The people you look up to are not like rugby stars or sports stars or, you know, leaders in business or people who you should be looking up to, you know, aspire to do better things. But they're the people within that world, which is unhealthy. Who was it that you ended up looking up to? Who was it that you were being groomed by to then, right, you're, you're next in line to, to take part in this sort of activity? For me then and for us and the people around me then, it was... You know, it was all the faces of the day. They was the ones who had the, the nice suits. They seemed to have the money. Everyone was falling over them. There was a sparkle about them. They'd turn up and it was exciting. They had the women, they had the cars, you know, all the trappings, you know, but there was something about them that they commanded some kind of influence. You know, that was attractive, yeah. right? Even though you don't understand what that is, it, the, there's, a, there's a pull to that. Of course, the paradox is, um, Joe, that... When you start going down that path, if you arrive at what you've seen at the start, you realise the reality is a completely different thing, right? When I said at the start, I was excited to get into this episode, but also nervous, but mainly excited because I've always been drawn to the British gang film mainly, culture. I've always loved it. I love One of my favourite films is Love, Honour and Obey with Ray Winston. Then you go through and do a little bit of research of it. These sort of names, Lenny McLean, Freddie Foreman, Frankie Fraser, the Richardson brothers, were they still kicking about or, or the remnants of those gangs still kicking about when you were growing up? Absolutely. Lenny uh, McLean, I knew him very well. I knew his son, uh, Jamie, as well. Right, you know, he's got a he's got a daughter as well. Freddie Foreman, I was just talking to him the other month. Freddie, right, he's still about, right, about something. You know, he's out of that life. You know, he's 90s now. Eddie, Eddie Richardson, it's funny you mentioned these names. I was in Parkhurst with Eddie. I mean, I was a young kid to him now, you know, he's a lot older. Than what was Parkhurst? Uh, Parkhurst was uh, Isle of Wight. It was the main, seen as the main dispersal prison show then for the tasty people if you want to put it like that certainly what it was like when I was sent there right because it was all there but it had a name for that right then yeah um, you know you had all your real real people there you had all the IRA people there you know you had all the big drugs people there you had all the armed robbery people of the day you know all the people with a big name you know you would say would be notorious villains, right, and stuff like that. I think it's I think it's bonkers. Would you say you're talking to Freddie Foreman the other yeah. the other month? It's bonkers. Like some of the names I've just reeled off were renowned for being some of the toughest, most horrible blokes in the East End. And the way you just reeled, yeah, I was talking to Frankie the other week. You know, <laughs> it's the, like how do you differentiate between the fondness you have of someone? whilst trying to ignore the fact that they're fucking nails and renowned for at any moment going, I'll fucking cut you, mate, happily, just I'll cut you. Did you know what I mean? How, uh, I'm just struggling to hear you talk so fondly a little bit. Oh, I was talking to him the other month and it was fine. And I think that's an excellent question, right? What I've learned, Joe, is there's a lot of paradoxes in life, believe me, right? Shocking ones, but they just are. It's like night and day. But I can tell you, even some of the people on that list, they are unbelievable family people with very strict values that you can admire that are even above and beyond yours a little bit. It's about doing, Tom, isn't it, in this life? Everyone talks a good game, but that doesn't cut it. That doesn't mean to say that there are other parts to human beings. If you position them in the wrong way, really piss them off. They're the worst people that you want to be pissing off. People always say, you're mad, you're bad, all this stuff. The truth is with me, I say no, none of them things. You know, I had three armed robbery trials at the Bailey. I was a Category A inmate. I was released a Category A inmate after 12 years, which takes some doing. I have to tell you, it's quite rare, yeah? All of this stuff, what people want to say or what they don't want to say, I mean, I am where I am now. You know, in 2019, I was nominated for an International Peace Prize, but I played that role as high as much as I could play it, right? But the truth of it is, here's another paradox for you, Tom, that actually I wasn't that person at all. And that's the truth of it. 
that's a reflection that shows you that different entities or archetypes can certainly cohabit us at different times. And how they come out, who's to say? There are many ways this stuff can translate, Tom. There'll be people out there that listen to that and will go, that sounds like a bit of a cop-out or an easy way out of saying, that wasn't me. The argument is, but it was you because you did those things. So that was you, that's what you did. And you, So what's to stop you saying that you've you've built this different life now but that's your history and there's still a part in you that's capable of doing that stuff. There's people out there that have never been capable of doing bad things the way you've done. So uh, it's a question of, well, hang on, how do you then convince people now in the work you do now that that was actually the past? That's not me now. This is what I'm contributing to the world now. Here's the thing what I say to that. It's a really easy one for me, Joe, Tom, right? Is I don't need to convince no one because guess what? I paid for what I've done. For me, I'm definitely accountable for my actions and people need to be, right? You know, for me, my example of stepping into my full light and becoming the best version of myself is working at the good stuff and letting it in every day. Now I have the chance to do that. And hey, Joe, I've been calling everything there is anyway. I'm too old to, you know, to... Give her you know what. <laughs> I mean, who cares? I mean, I'm not going to sit. You know, it really depends where you're sitting on the hill, Tom. Yeah. You are, by any standards, dapper. You've got a lovely open neck pink shirt on. You've got your pocket square. You've got a lovely navy suit on. Your nice hair watch is on him as well. Lovely watch. Yeah. You could not look more dapper. Take us back to the man. I'm not going to rob you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. As you I said, said that watch, way, fuck, he's looked at me now. He's signed up the watch. I'm, no, no, no. Do you know why I'm laughing? Because I'm thinking, that's very decent of you, right? <laughs> you know, all that back patting. But I'm okay. Yeah. I can take Yeah, that. where's this going? It's all right. Come yeah. on. So if you were to take us back to, let's say we'd met the 25-year-old Stephen or the 35-year-old Stephen, just tell us what's happening in what to you was an ordinary week. What was an ordinary week in your old life? It was a terrible existence. It was very paranoid. It was very violent. I was addicted to drugs then. I'm 13 years clean of absolutely everything now so i've really you know you know i've had to climb the mountains along the way as well right and sail the seas right you know and uh truth is then for me i was a career criminal there was counterfeiting you had you know it was a lot of heavy stuff guns your armed robbery your violence your stuff like that that uh, i mean that's what it was right there would be other things as well it was just like i would go where the money was i mean that is the reality of that life it's an evil life, Tom. This show is sponsored by the following magnificent people. Like Butterworth wouldn't melt, Nikki Butterworth. Who Claire's wins, Claire Blaco. Mark, simply the best, Lee. Proud Mary, Tim Eaton Mess, David Gammon, Egg and Chips. Walk this way, Andy Walker, the lawbreaker, Alistair Blacklars. That's it, Jonathan Pratt. The Rollerball, Becky Dyson, Donga, Ian Miller, Lynchy, Bob Hope and Glory, Gareth, oh so quiet, Burke, Joe Galvin and Stacey, there's no one crapper than Carl Crapper and Kerry, the noble steed. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor and grow the show today. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favorite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behavior creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. Thank you. 
when you're involved in gangs, have you got protection with you at all times? Wherever you went in your life, whether you're going to Sainsbury's to get your milk, whether you're going down shops. <laughs> what, <hang on. laughs> what a fucking shit example. Whether you go, have you got protection when you're going down to Sainsbury's to pick up your milk? But it might be that someone was after you, Joe, you see. Yeah, no, I get that. But like, we're talking about a top criminal. At so some, point, someone's going down the shop some, for you, Stephen. Some, you're sending someone down to get your milk. Look, uh, it may seem like a mental way to put it, Joe, but it's spot on. Fuck's sake, why have you always got to be right? No, but I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Look, you know, and it makes all the sense in the world, right? If you're involved in kind of stuff like that and you have enemies, right? You're stepping on toes or whatever. There's people you're not friends with, right? Or you're making waves or whatever you want to call it, right, Joe is. They're not going to come in the front of everyone like with bright lights. They're going to get you, they're going to try and get you where you don't expect it. So you'd, you'd always be on your toes. Yeah, you'd always be on your toes and you're programmed in a certain way when you live a life like that for obvious reasons. You know, and what's not said is just as important as what's said, Tom. In what way? Well, you just have a real antenna because you need to work people out because it can be life or death sometimes, can't it? So, you you know, your processor uh, of that ability is really heightened, even too much so. This is why there's all the paranoia and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes, you know, if there was a lot of stuff going on, you'd have weapons on you a lot more than other times if you felt a lot more safer. And we're talking, we're talking proper weapons here. We're not talking like, I remember going to, <laughs> oh, fucking don't say this out loud. I remember going to a house party when I was younger and I had to walk back. It was about four miles back home. And it was dark, late at night, and I'm having to walk down this fucking. There's no uh, street lights or anything, so I'm shitting myself. Right? I don't like the. I didn't like the dark growing up, Stephen. Just to let you know. And the only thing I had in my backpack was a pen. And I remember the entire four mile journey home, I put this pen just like this between my knuckles, ready for anyone to pet because I thought someone in the suburbs of Heathfield <laughs> was going to jump out the bush and attack me for some unknown reason but I was ready I had that ready so we're talking in your case more than just my biro aren't we at times it's, you know <laughs> it just goes to show you doesn't it where, how, how the human mind can work though what was your longest stretch in prison 17 years I actually got a lot more but they run it concurrent so you know we're talking big numbers here but in the cold light of day I'd done 11 years and 9 months in one here Joe as a category A prisoner and I was released to category A prisoner as well so that was high security prisons what for? That was armed robbery. You know, there were shots fired at, fired at police on that. It was, a, you know, a police ambush. They was there and all this stuff. There was surveillance. This is after a lot of, you know, back and forth with the police over, over years, right? You know, operations and, you know, stuff like that. And them days, there's a lot of people around. It was, you know, this is what we've done. A lot of people went to prison for a long time. I don't want to glamorise this, so I was going to ask what was the worst thing you've done, but I'm going to rephrase that and say, which was the thing that you regret the most? I regret all of it, not just because it was wrong, but because I could have done so much better. That's the simple answer, and all roads would have led from that, right, if you want to narrow it down. But there are many things that come from that translation, Tom, and one is, you know, I wasn't there for my son, Sid, he's 30 now. So, you know, I missed all his formative years, you know. Obviously, in a personal way, this stuff is, you know, is very tough. But when I really come to that line, that, you know, epiphany, when enough was enough, the three things were, was, one, I wasn't prepared to hurt people no more. I just couldn't do it. I didn't have it in me. I was not going to do that. And that was anyone. Anyone ran me, anyone by any means, right? I had to change how shit and bad I felt about myself and everything I was doing to myself and everyone else and what I was carrying well that was the other part of it and the third one was I'd really had enough Joe of certain kinds of people looking down at me I mean maybe they was in a place where they thought it was okay to look down at me I mean I don't know I mean you know, who am I but that feeling was I didn't want that no more, thinking uh, people thought they was better than me when I knew that, no, you're not. You know, we can, you know, I've got it in me to be the same and just the same as you. So that was, that was the drivers for me at the end, if that makes sense. 
before you got caught, was that common, but you just haven't been caught? Like, you'd you'd regularly be doing armed rob- robberies. You'd regularly be doing, what's the one where you'd go around and beat people up and... Protection. Protection. No, rac- what's racketeering? Help me with these words. I would look at extortion. the extortion. Extortion, that's it. You know, you're well, fucking well. paying us and all that lot. Were you part of a gang, like a specific gang, like the Richardson family or the craze back there? Like, was there a gang in your time that you were part of that you would, like your firm or the mob or whatever they called it? Look, the answer is yes and no to that because there are a lot of loosely connected gangs in that way who would work with each other, but it was very organised. You know, obviously there's all target criminals and you'd come together. So all the way through, even in my younger years, I was kind of part of a, a firm or our own little group, if if you want to call it that. So, yeah, all the way through with that. That kind of develops and, and shifts, right, as you go forward. You know, and the other question is, look, extortion and stuff like that, was I involved in that stuff? Was I part of some of that stuff on the way through and all that kind of stuff through that life? Yes, I was. That was part of it, Joe. Once you're in, you're all in. Well, You, you, you can't pick and choose what what shit you're involved in here, once you're in, once you're part of this firm or once you're part of this life, it's you're all life. in. Right. Yeah. What's it like in the middle of all that? How do you get treated by other people? People treat you in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people are scared of you in time. They just are for obvious reasons. You know, they stay away from you. You know, of course, they should stay away from people like that. It's not healthy, is it? But there's all different kinds of ways, you know. And then, you know, the truth is in them days, the police, yeah, of course, you didn't want to be arrested by the police or go to prison. That was like, God, you know, be over, right? But there was worse things in the police because, you know, people fall out within them dynamics. of people, And, you know, you fall out, it gets very serious very quickly. There's a couple of times people come to places to shoot me and I've just gone, stuff like that. I mean, that's terrible, right? And looking back, you know, it's crazy to say but it's the truth. On a daily basis, I'd walk into places really and I wouldn't know if I'd walk out of them. Was there a lot of gang rivalry as well? Like the fact that you're related to that, you're doing work with this side here. Actually, we don't like that side. Was there certain borders or places in in the East End that you're like, we don't go there, we steer clear of there, or you can't do any work there, you can't go there for a coffee. (laughs) Just going for a coffee, just popping (laughs) out today, love, just going for a coffee up fucking East End. You can say it like that because it translates like that in the cold light of day. Not exactly how you've put it, Joe, but that's the reality of it. You have to understand it's a very, very treacherous life, right? The people in it, are very greed-focused and self-centred, right? They know what they're into the same way, you know, and, you know, it's like a game of chess. They'll sacrifice you if if the means justifies the ends or even less than that. I've seen people be set up to be killed and getting very... just because other people have a sneaky jealousy about them. So a lot of strange shit can go on in this life, but human beings can be really weird like this. So when you when you explode that and translate that into a life like this, it's the same ingredients, but you know it's very, very, very dodgy. It's very unstable. And the worst thing about it was, you know, I used to always think it's okay when you kind of see it coming, or you know someone's pissed you, or you know you've got a real beef with them down there, or what's them like. He's not my friend of them lot over there. They're, you know what I mean? They're up to something. That's okay. The worst bit of it, I used to always think, was the bit that used to even, you know, be worrying was when you don't see it come, Tom. What are your thoughts, Joe, as you're listening to Stephen's story? Um, I keep getting, like, flashbacks like, as a kid growing up and how much I used to love the East End gang scene and, like, and how it's portrayed to me in films and on TV. And the biggest draw of it was always about like the power and the notoriety of being the toughest. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll run that sort of area, run that firm, or that sort of thing, being part of that life. But also, what you touched on earlier, Stephen, when you were like the old school values that a lot of those gangsters and mobsters and families had was it was all always about family first, right? How am I provide, providing for the family by any means necessary? How am I protecting my family by any means necessary? That was, and that's always a big draw. But you mix that within the actual reality of it and the sort of people 
and the things you actually end up doing or getting involved in, you're like, what the fuck are you going on about? Why can't you have those old school values of family without shooting someone? Mm. So I sit here a bit like, yeah, I wish I could have been one of them. And then you go, no, the reality of it is you're fucking stupid, mate. Why can't you give good to the world as opposed to, and, and have that sort of notoriety or respect in doing things like that as opposed to, the bad things, the nasty things, or the or the grief that you bring people from from your actions. Joe, I agree with you, five hundred percent. I really do, right? But having come a full circle with this, I know there's a lot more to it as it usually is. And then I, I think, look, everything we've said here, spot on, right? You know, I'm hundred percent what you say, right? That's how I live my life, right? Should have been my values then, right? I paid my price for that. But then I'm, you know, I'm reminded. I call it the human condition. For instance, look, you know, if a mother has to defend her child for something from someone or something bad, and she has to do real violence to do that, is it possible that's in that's in her makeup to do that? Damn right it is. So you know, I've realised people are people. We have we're we're a complex mix of stuff. Joe, right? You know, if you look at uh, gangs in New York, for instance, I don't know if you've seen the film, mm. cities, all these kind of things, they are molded in many ways by crooks. It's survival of the fittest, real time, right here, right now, as twisted as it is. Then you've got your slippery politicians come in. They have a different way to do it. Are they any better? Who's to say? I don't know. I'll let everyone make their own mind up about that. I know what I certainly think, right? There's a lot we've got to get into here, Joe. We've got to talk about the role of the police. We've got to talk about prisons. We've got to talk about a man called Charles Bronson. Should we have a little cheeky ad break? Come back with those questions. Good idea. Thank you, Tom. Before the break, you touched on people's viewpoints of slippery politicians and whether they're just as bad as in, in a different way and stuff like that. And that then made me think about Line of Duty, the series that I fucking love, absolutely love watching that. But it's all based around bent coppers. Now, doing loads of research into this and looking back, there were bent coppers everywhere back in the day, back in the East End. Is that something you came across quite a bit? And do you reckon, I don't want you implicating anyone anymore, <laughs> but more of an opinion, do you reckon that similar stuff still goes on with the police? I'm not 100% sure would be, you know, would be the answer to that because I've been, you know, I'm not part of that life. But knowing why, I know, I, I, you know, I would suspect there is less of it, but I know this stuff is there. I'll try, I'll it try goes and wo- on, right? word it a little less implicating. So back mm. in your day, would the organised crime that went on been able to have taken place without the help of bent coppers? It's a very strategic question <laughs> and a very, <laughs> but a very good one. I'm telling you because I've never been asked that question before in that way. And when I sit here and think about it, I think, wow, actually in many ways, no, really, when I think about it. When you're a really active target criminal, I mean, we used to say, look, the biggest firm is the Metropolitan Police. It's not us. That's for wise people. They only need to be lucky once. We need to be lucky all the time. There's your odds. Seriously. For wise people, again, right? I mean, I don't know what other people are thinking about, but that's the reality of it. So we used to think it's a numbers game like anything else, right? And when you're prolific like that, right, we'd see other people, certain faces, are getting quite wealthy, all the whistles and bells, they're doing the same, maybe even a lot less than what we're involved in. But they're having like 10, 15 year runs and we're thinking, there's no way that that's doable. It's just not. Because when these people put the weight of the Metropolitan Police on you and more, you're on borrowed time unless you turn your cards in. That's the truth. I mean, you have a two year run, big load of observations, think you're really clever. Yeah, they watch us, we watch them, we're... These people are good, right? They've got big money behind them. You know, they've been doing it for a long time, right? So they're going to, you know, they'll, in the end, that's going to come out, right? So how are you going to be going for 15 years? Everyone knows your name, you know, because a lot of people talk. There is. It's a lot of formats and all these kind of guys. I mean, I always kept 
to the rules of that life. I mean, it's obvious for me. I paid for it and some. So I was one of the rebels. But I know many other people. Some of these are really, really big names you would not suspect or think. And they've been in bed with the old Bill for years. Let's say, Stephen, Joe is a police officer in the Met Police. And you were an old school style gangster. And you want to get Joe on your side. How do you do it? <laughs> Look, it's a lot about coercion and bribery, Joe, isn't it, right? Human beings are good at that too. So, you know, you pick your target, it'd be the first thing. Preferably someone who's up against it. You know, maybe he's got a closet gambling problem or something like that. Thomas, so, as, soon well, as, you, as soon as you, well, po <laughs> you pose well, this fucking situation, I went... <laughs> I'd be bribed straight away, mate. <laughs> I, he would definitely, there's so much out there that he could get on me. I'd be like, fuck, yeah, whatever you want, Stephen, I will do. It's, it's similar in the way that what I do at work a little bit sometimes, yeah. where I, I gather all these secrets, these folders on different players, different teammates. There you go. Different photos. Human beings, Tom. Dif you, different photos, different yeah. videos, different, you know, encounters. And I store them. I store them all. So that, that one day that they... <laughs> It crossed me. Bomb. It's out. It's ready. You got it all. So then, and then you make them aware of that. You make them aware of what you got, just so that they always toe the line a little bit. And now that I'm saying it out loud of what I'm doing, I'm a little bit sadistic, aren't I? <laughs> and this is only fucking teammates playing rugby. Oh, God, what am I doing? Oh, no, I'd be screwed in the police, wouldn't I? But I, look, here's the thing, right? And that's quite deep, Joe, by the way. Right? <laughs> but listen... <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'm being judged here, aren't I? Absolutely All these photos not. and videos That's I've got. Absolutely not. But look, is that sadistic? I don't think it's sadistic at all, really. I mean, personally, it's your word. Or is that strategic? and protective well I do it more of a, a protective thing if someone, as soon as someone comes go. at you and you think it's unacceptable the level there's a, there's a certain level of being allowed to there's a level there's you know I'll it. take I'll take a bit of it and yeah, I, we're yeah. dumbing it down thingy, but it does relate I think to a little bit it's a certain level I'll take certain, as soon as you overstep the mark bosh and you need to have that sort of insurance policy that's what I like to call it just an insurance policy to make sure we're all on the same kilter for long enough you you mentioned your son Sid yeah. earlier. Were you married? Did you have a partner growing up when you were living this life in the underworld? As I like to say, I don't mean we're Hades, hmm. the Greek underworld, Tom, before you chime in with nice that. Nice reference. Thank you. Um, did you have partners and kids during it? And if so, what was it like for them? Absolutely. I mean, I was married. You know, I'm divorced now back in them days and I had other partners around me, like my children growing up. And of course, you know, it was um, immensely difficult for them, tragically difficult for them because of the choices that was being made. And of course, everyone, you know, gets the brunt of that. And that's just another example of why living a life like that is so hurtful to so so many. So we've mentioned his name already, Stephen. For those who aren't aware of Charles Bronson, tell us a little bit about him. Charlie's known as Britain's most dangerous prisoner. First thing I'd have to do is shatter that myth. I've known a lot of people a lot more dangerous than Charlie. Not to say Charlie's not an obvious handful in his day and some, right? That's the first thing. The prison service have a great way with someone like Charlie, you know, and they can do it to a lot of people. I had a bit of it as well. Charlie, they've certainly gone gone the nine yards with to to demonise him and lift him up to make him this this profile that's out there in the media. He needs to be accountable for his actions, the same as the rest of us, Tom. We know that, right? When you look at the scale of it, he's. He's been treated worse than a dog, really. And, and why has he been treated that way? What, was he, what were his crimes? What did he do? Charlie was involved in an armed robbery. Now, he wasn't top league of that or anything like that, but he'd done that, right? He got caught. He went out. He, he, he'd done a lot of prison. He'd come out. He got caught for doing it again. Obviously, that's not good. So he's going to get a long sentence. Charlie's thing, I really believe now, is he finds it just as hard to cope as I did. But his response to that is to rebel, is to cause a big, and that's more to, I think, hold on to something or protect himself than what it actually seems. I know, because I, I done the same stuff, right? It can translate funny when you're out there in base human, human conditions and you need to survive, Joe, right? 
So he's 70 now. He's up for parole. He needs to come out. What I would say about Charlie is, yeah, all the stuff that people think, like I said, there's a lot of truth in that. But there's a lot of other sides, like, to Charlie. How old did you say he was now? He's 70-something now. Early 70s or something. So do you think... I'm I'm thinking of... um, What was his name? Brooks from... Yeah, Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. You know, he'd been in prison that long. It's quite a film. Institutionalised, wasn't he? He came out, he was Mm -hmm. like, well, the world's completely different to what I remember it being. Say they did let Charles Bronson out. Do you think he would cope? Do you think he would survive one day without actually being going, fuck, actually, I prefer it in prison. I'm, I'm that used to the prison system. I know how it works. I know I know what it's like in there now. That's kind of my my arena. That's my environment. Knowing Charlie, how I know him, you know, on a normal uh, personal level, right, of going through that, some of that with him, a lot of that with him. Where he is now at his age, he does a lot for charity. He's an excellent artist. You know, he just wants to live the last bit of his life and be dropped out. You know, he's not this ogre that he may have been 20 years ago who's in the Guinness Book of World Records for doing the most press-ups with a man on his back because that's true as well, right? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Where did that happen? In prison? He's he's in the Guinness Book. <laughs> Guinness Book of World Records, I kid you not, for a few things. I don't know exactly what they are, but I know that one of them, probably a couple of them, I know there's a few, is for press-ups. Right? And one of them is for doing press-ups with someone on his back. I mean, I've personally seen him do that. Because you were in the cell next to him yeah. in prison, so you saw him doing his press-ups. All the time. I mean, you know, we'd come out, you know, we'd be in them little yards, it'd be sectioned off. Yeah. We'd have a fence between us, but it'd be like that. So it'd be taught, you'd see everything. And it'd, he was a very, very fit guy. I was even then, Tom, as well. I mean, the truth was, this is one of the things that kept my sanity. Charlie was... Off the scale, I think he's still very, very uh, fit man. Like he uh, turns it over, but he's a different man. This takes me back to a previous episode we did with the prison governor. Mm, Remember that, Jamie? One? And we spoke about well, what's the point of the prison system? Is it built there for when people do wrong, they're locked up, and that's it? Is it built there for reformation? And once people have reformed, then we're trying to introduce them back into society and add back to society because people make mistakes, some greater than others, of course. And you have to pay, like you've mentioned a couple of times, you have to pay the fucking debt. But we're talking about Charles Bronson, media circus around him, a film made about him and all that lot. And you dream up this picture of him or you see what you're, you're, you're led to believe what he's like. And then you describe him, well, ultimately he's a 70 year old bloke sitting behind bars, at what point do we go, he's a 70-year-old bloke, how long is enough for the things that he's done before you go, well, just let the poor fucker out now. Do you know what I mean? He's, in fact, I say that because there'll be people that listen or watch it and they go, hang on, you've just described one of the most violent criminals behind bars or the most one of the violent prisoners as a poor fucker. No, <laughs> What I meant was, he's 70. So, like, it's a question to you, Tom. What do you think? Like, What do you think, The Tom? reformation of it. Fucker, right? <laughs> I'm almost going to turn this on to, to you, Stephen, because you've had that epiphany. So you've gone through a life of violence and crime and you've changed. So when I think about Charles Bronson, I think about your own journey. So what what changed it for you? What Was, was there one magic moment? Was it a, a lifetime of regret? When I was in that deepest, darkest hole, you know, it was the ice security prison. So, you know, I I used to feel like the emotion was sucked out of me. And I was I was in such a dark, it's such a strange place to be. And it's crazy because you wouldn't even want that for your most worst enemy. So that's the feeling of it. And you do mean that. It's quite something to say when you mean it, right? You wouldn't give two hoots about your worst enemy, really. But it has that depth of pain to it. And I lived on the hatred for a long time. It's like the only thing that kept me going, really, is I was under, you know, you're talking about torture, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, really, in there uh, daily over a long period. So this is rightly or wrongly what I had to deal with, right, for me. You know, I come to the end of it, and I was intelligent enough to know that, look, you know, I need to sort myself out here. You ever... Tom, been in prison? No. Just double-checking that. What about no. a night, night in the cells? Not once. You've had your night in your cells, haven't you? Yeah, but I'm not asking me a question. I'm, I'm making it empathetic. 
Anyway, oh, well, ask the man. What about has, a police station? Have you been in a police station? Yes. What, in trouble or just because you got lost? Probably I lost my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the same as no, Stephen's story, is it? No. Um, we've got no idea between us. I mean, I haven't really got an idea about a night in a cell when I was 14. That doesn't really count. I mean, it was it was daunting and scary, but that's, that's not prison, is it? Is it actually better than... Maybe what we think it is a prison. Yeah, hell no. Is it ba- is it is it as bad as it should be, or is it actually quite cushy? Is it like oh, you like this word, Tom? Prepare yourself. Like a microcosm. Oh, does that even work? Keep going. Fuck's sake! <laughs> is it like a microcosm of the world that you were in before? You've got a lot of characters, a lot of criminals already in there. Are you still capable of doing quite a bit of crime in there if you wanted to? Yeah, the easy answer to that is yes, of course. But, you know, I have to say, look, you know, if you're applying the word kushti <laughs> to, <laughs> to prison, the darkness of long-term high-security prisons, I'd say, what drugs do you take? <laughs> it's desperate, Joe. It is hell on earth, right? You know, I used to call it the seven levels of hell. I didn't say that just for the sake of it. There was a book. Dante's Inferno where he lives there but that's where I got it from but it was the seven levels of hell because that definitely it's uh, it's not somewhere you want to go anyway that's for sure for most of us Stephen if we have to make an enormous change in our life it's not a sudden dramatic moment and also the person we were before still exists afterwards so as you moved away from crime did you ever find yourself tempted and I'm sure some of your old connections were there some of the old world hadn't entirely disappeared around you yeah, I mean, you have that transition. Of course you do. It's real life. And there, you know, there's that moment. If you're the real thing and you're really transforming, you don't wake up in the morning, I, oh, personality transplant. It's not like that, right? You know, there's a lot of work to be done with that. And this is the thing. A lot of people say, oh, you know, where you are now, do all this cool stuff and that. It's a miracle. Yeah, I get that. You know, in many ways, it's a miracle I'm even here. It's a miracle we wake up every morning. You know, I'm a very grateful person. But what my mind reminds me is, look, you know, I weren't on the floor. I was 10 foot under it. So for me, it was a Herculean effort to get up to level pegging, even. That's what I think. That was a miracle for me. 25-year-old Stephen, what would he be thinking of 50-year-old Stephen now? Would he have ever dreamt that you'd be sitting here or doing these talks? You're a CEO of a production company. You go and inspire people to steer out of a life of crime. There's no sim- similarities between my upbringing and your upbringing in terms of the like, I've lived a fucking really lovely upbringing and then no, no real crime apart from I stole mm. some pistachios when I was younger, actually, and I was in a couple of brawls and all that lot. So I can't think. Hearing what your life was like and hearing and seeing you now, you, you've surely got to sit back sometimes and go, fuck me. How, how did I get here? It's strange because I'll give you this. Look, when I was in the deepest, darkest hole then, and I mean, I couldn't go no lower. I, I couldn't see a few. I couldn't see nothing, right? But there'd be, in my most desperate moments, sometimes there'd be a little voice coming, this little succinct, concise voice that would go, but you have to go through this. I used to think, fuck's that? Why the fuck would I have to go through this living hell? Of course, it don't answer. Now, if you want, this is profound, right? And it's not your voice. We know it's our voice or some crazy. This is just, but we don't forget it. All these years, I haven't forgot it. So when when you look with the hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, Joe. I mean, if you had have asked me, I would have said, I would have said what drugs are you taking? <laughs> but true life is stranger than fiction, Joe. That's why you look at, a, based on a true story, a film, it always gets me more. I don't know about you, because you can just see the truth in it. It's different to fiction. True life is really a lot more extraordinary than fiction. This is what I think. And Stephen, if people would like to read more about your story, you've brought a couple of books in. Yeah, I've got the books down there. It's a story of your life, is it? Yeah, it's, it's an autobiography of my life. And, um, you know, it's been a bestseller. It's, it, you know, it's so many people have enjoyed that. There's been so much press about it. It's optioned to be a film. You know, we're advanced at it now. The budget top sheet on this has been done. Got the script, 36 million. Ooh, right. Fuck me, dead. I really look forward to that. Coming out then. I hope that all goes well for you, mate. Stephen, it's been fucking brilliant having you on. I've enjoyed. Ev- I've finally. I'm not. I'm not. I am but your st- body posture has opened up a frank. Well, I'm still scared. Yeah, no, I'm still scared shitless, mate. Like I've just sat in a room with a former reformed gangster and all that. Like, and there's still something in his eye that I think. 
Fuck, don't look at him the wrong way. <laughs> Love. <laughs> don't look at him. Listen to Dave Joe, it's all good. No, it's, it's I've really enjoyed it. It's been brilliant. Too, thank, really thank you so much for coming on. Cheers, mate. Joe, we had no idea before we recorded this episode how Stephen actually spoke. Is it pleasing to you or slightly scary that actually we weren't a million miles when we did our, our gangster at the start? We wasn't a million miles off what Stephen's sounding like. I'm a little bit worried because whenever I go abroad, I don't know if you do this as well, or even to just like a different area of the country, and there's quite a strong accent. After a little while of talking to someone, I end up mimicking them, not mocking them, mimicking. So like when we, me and Dave's gone to Spain, and I'll be like, "Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, can I uno paella? Bit of, bit of paella, like I'd start and then start getting and she'd be like embarrassed or grease. I'd be like, oh, Yeah, uh, can I um, have a gyros? You know, and she's like, What are you doing? You can't speak the language, but you're putting on some sort of French accent. You're doing you a know? Steve McLaren, aren't you? You're doing a Joey Barton. Yeah, <laughs> what was the Joey Barton? <laughs> Joey Barton was when, we, when he was at Marseille and uh, he was speaking English, but uh, you know, they we call it like a, a corner, a corner, it's um, a free kick. Do, we do like uh, these uh, these drills, <laughs> and it's with the ball, like that's. How, and now I worry when I listen back to that, I'm pretty sure I was putting on some sort of like fake accent. Shit, I was talking like that in that episode. Luckily, Stephen didn't bring it up or notice it because he didn't know what I sounded like before, <laughs> so <laughs> he had no idea who I was. It's fucking brilliant, and it was just like that. So, and he won't listen back to it. So, it was <laughs> surely I'll be all right. When I'll be, I'll get away with all my fingers, won't I? Unless he listens to any other show that we've done or sees an interview with you in the future. Talking of strange foreign accents, have you heard Sean Edwards speak in French? No. Do an impression of what you think Sean Edwards sounds like speaking French. Eh, mademoiselle, (laughs) you, uh, je m'appelle Sean. What am I doing? Where's my voice gone then? Why am I talking like this? You do it. You got to Wigan. Go more Wigan. Oh, all right. How you doing? Uh, Je m'appelle Sean, and um, what I'm here to defence, you know, and I like the Eiffel Tower. Uh, Paris. It's <laughs> <laughs> very, very close, Joe, to the reality. Yeah, well, it seems to be working, doesn't he? The French absolutely bloody love him. They bloody love him. I tell you what else is working, Joe. And that is the way that people can now subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify and Patreon. Because for just £1 a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes, and you will be growing the show at the same time. Joe, if people would like another podcast to listen to before you and I return next Wednesday, let us recommend to them a new offering from Crowd Network called... Left hook, right, left hook, right, ding, ding, gone, D-K-O, motherfucker. <laughs> it's an unusual name for a podcast, but that's what we've decided to call it, rather than the George Groves Boxing Club. Oh, I'm excited about that one. You ever boxed? Yeah. Have you? Yeah, but like, no. <laughs> no, more of a brawler. Well, if you want to know how boxing really works, listen to the George Groves Boxing Club. Wherever you get your podcasts. What about our YouTube channel? Yes. You can see the whole episode. Just type in The Joe Marler Show on YouTube. And you get extra show clips, Joe, as well, I believe. Yeah, little bits of uh, little bit of bacon ace on there. Mm. Don't know why I said bacon ace. What is bacon ace? Uh, it's mayo that's... Bacon flavoured. Bacon, isn't it? Mm. Bacon ace. Sounds delicious. Love it. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.